Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. duty, leadership, character, were the words Justin Welby, Archbishop of Canterbury, used to encapsulate the extraordinary life and reign of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. You may recall pictures of her sitting alone in St George's Chapel in Windsor Castle at the funeral of her beloved husband, Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, as she observed prevailing COVID restrictions at that time. For Archbishop Justin, that was the clearest moment, the absolute summit of her unwavering commitment throughout her reign to doing the right thing. Today, February the 6th, marks the 70th anniversary of the Queen's accession to the throne back in 1952 on the death of her father, King George VI, whom she adored. Since that date, 14 UK Prime Ministers have come and gone. 1.5 million people have attended one of her garden parties. 31% of British people say they have said they have seen or met her. She is currently the world's longest serving head of state. Hers has been a life of truly exceptional public service an icon of stability worldwide through decades of political and social upheaval. So this morning we gather in God's name to thank and praise God for the Queen, for her faithfulness, devotion and service to the Church, to our country and the Commonwealth. And we pray for God's continued grace and strength and wisdom as she discharges her responsibilities. Now there's often a question I'm mulling over before preaching on a story we've listened to together. And that question is, I wonder what folk have heard in the story. Where do people see or locate themselves in the narrative if we see ourselves in the story at all? Well, this morning's story is a case in point. It's simple enough. Jesus is teaching on the shores of Lake Gennesaret. The crowds can't get enough and are pressing in on him. There are a couple of fishing dinghies pulled up on the shore. Jesus gets into Simon's dinghy and asks him to push out a little way. He then squats down and starts to teach the surface of the water acting as a natural PA system. After he's finished teaching, Jesus tells Simon to row out further and let down his nets for a catch. Simon, the professional fisherman, says, 
Master, we've been fishing hard all night and we haven't even caught a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the gnats. Well, the gnats are no sooner in the water than they have such a catch that the gnats start to give out. They call out to their partners in another boat for help. The haul of fish begins to sink the second boat as well. And then all of a sudden, Simon realises whose presence he is in. As Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, Simon then sinks to his knees and stammers, Master Leaf, I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. In fact, all the fishermen are flabbergasted. So much so that not only Simon and Andrew, but James and John pull their fishing dinghies up onto the shore and leave everything. And presumably that massive haul of fish spoiling in the sun in order to follow Jesus. So for those of you who are following along, I wonder who you connect most with in the story. Is it with Peter? With the other fishermen? With with the crowd on the shore? Maybe even with Jesus? Who or where do we see ourselves in the narrative? Now when we listen to this story during the season of Epiphany, it's important to remember that the stories we hear not only reveal or show who Jesus is, the Messiah, the, the Son of God. The stories we listen to are also about God's call on our lives. They describe how folk just like you and me get drawn into the ambit of Jesus' life and ministry. In fact, this particular story we've listened to this morning is often one we hear at ordination services when the church confirms God's call on someone's life to be a deacon or a priest. And that's one of the reasons, I think, that we might struggle to relate to any of the characters in this story at all. It may seem like a story for religious people, like Archdeacon David or Deacon Rob or Rob Miller, who are called to a particular ministry in the church. It it doesn't speak to my life in the pube simply because Jesus has never called me to anything. which is where I want to pick it up. Simply because Jesus has called each and every one of us. Uh, We wouldn't be tuning in this morning if Jesus hadn't. Jesus does have a call on each of our lives which was recognized and responded to at our baptism, even if we were not aware of it. And I wonder, I wonder if one of the reasons we resist this truth or struggle to believe this truth is that like Simon this morning, we simply don't think we're qualified. We're not good enough. We're not religious enough. We're not crazy enough or whatever. And it's this sense 
that can get in the way of hearing and responding to God's call on our lives. We can simply feel inadequate, not worthy. Which is what's happening for Isaiah this morning too in the Old Testament reading. God gives Isaiah a vision. Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty. The hem of his robe fills the temple. Do you get a sense of just how overwhelmingly big God's presence is? God's hem fills the largest building humans could construct at that time. And seraphs are attending God. And we sometimes think of seraphs as cute, pudgy-faced, curly-haired kids. No, no. Seraphs were fierce creatures, scary flying snakes around the size of a sea serpent who was singing God's glory at rock concert decibels. Little wonder Isaiah feels unclean, unworthy. And so it is with Simon as he drops to his knees this morning following that ginormous catch and begs Jesus to leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. Their encounter with God, God's hearing God's call on their lives, leaves both Isaiah and Simon with a profound sense of their inadequacy, their, their brokenness, their humanness in the presence of the holy. They feel as if they just do not belong in God's presence. You know, in a similar vein, I, I can't imagine what went through Princess Elizabeth's heart and mind at the Treetops Hotel in the foothills of Mount Kenya some 70 years ago on the news of her father's death. Me, Queen of England, at age 25? Perhaps then this is an entry point for us into the story, a place where we can see ourselves. One thing which can dull our ears to God's call to play the small but important role God has assigned us in the restoration of this beautiful and broken world God loves so much is that we too feel unworthy. We think we don't measure up. We lack what it takes. We too can feel as if we don't belong in the presence of the Holy. And that's why it's so important to push through in these stories. To listen for what happens next. In God's encounter with Isaiah in the temple, in Jesus' exchange with Simon in the boat, neither Isaiah nor Simon is left to wallow in his sense of unworthiness or inadequacy when confronted with God's presence and power. How does God respond to them? Does God agree with their self-assessment? Well, absolutely not. 
God restores Isaiah, cleanses his lips and sends him to speak God's word to a people who will not listen. Jesus simply tells Simon to stop being scared and then informs him that from now on, Simon will be catching people. Jesus calls Simon to his life work. So despite the protestations, God sees them both as profoundly worthy and capable of performing the particular and valuable ministry that God has entrusted to each of them. So God's call on our lives, on your life and on mine, declares our worth, our value, our competence in God's eyes. God's call on our lives affirms our uniqueness, our individuality, our special mix of gifts and skills and passion, particular to us and to us alone. It's in and with and through who we are, just as we are, that God partners with us and empowers us to play the particular role in his reign that we and we alone can fulfill. As God has demonstrated so powerfully in the life of Queen Elizabeth. So today we celebrate Her Majesty's faithfulness to God's particular call on her life across 70 years. Archbishop Justin describes the Queen's Christian faith as the rock on which she stands. May I conclude with her words from the Queen's Christmas message back in 1986. Jesus' life She said, thus began in humble surroundings, in fact, in a stable. But he was to have a profound influence on the course of history and on the lives of generations of his followers. You don't have to be rich or powerful in order to change things for the better. And each of us in our own way can make a contribution. Let us pray now in the words that the Bishop of Brandon, the Right Reverend Bill Cliff, has penned for this occasion. Almighty God and creator of the universe, from whom all sovereignty takes its pattern, we give thanks today for the service and dedication of our gracious lady, Queen Elizabeth II. Give her grace to continue in service and wisdom and in faithful fulfilment of her pledge, give her strength of body and mind. Make us mindful of the example of fidelity and service which she has offered the peoples of this land and the whole Commonwealth, as she seeks to follow the way of her Saviour, Jesus Christ our Lord, who with the Holy Spirit remains ever one God, world without end. Amen. for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.